0: So if you do have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the book of Acts chapter nine. And we've been going through uh, the book of Acts here in a series that I've called Back to Normal because that's one of those things that we are looking for in this day and age is for us to go back to normal. And our version of normal has not only been challenged but dismantled and completely dismembered in a lot of ways. And, and we know um, that things, you know, God is in the business of, of breaking, the, uh, breaking normal. And breaking the 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 cycle of normal um, because we are always in seasons of change and and as we've been looking through the book of Acts and and going through the beginnings of the early church and how the church started and how everything that that they thought was normal got flipped on its head all the time uh, today is going to be no different because this is one of the most abnormal stories if you will that you're going to see Um, in in Scripture in terms of what happens to one particular person and the impact that is made for the kingdom of God in such an incredible way that even impacts you today right where you sit. Um, And I believe has such a huge impact for the kingdom because of what we can learn from it. Last week we uh, talked about a story of a man named Stephen who was one of the first deacons, and God was using him in, a, in amazing ways, and he got um, arrested and was tried and uh, basically called on the carpet because he stood for the truth. He stood for the truth of God's word and the truth of who Jesus was, and he was challenged on that and eventually um, was was put to death by stoning, which is where they take huge rocks and throw them at you until you die, and so that was the story we looked at last week. And during that story, we talked about a guy named Saul who was there. And while Saul was there, Saul had good intentions, as we saw last week. Uh, He was standing there watching this happen. And he's watching the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And as Saul stands there and watches and holds the coats of those that are throwing the rocks and it tells you something about the kind of guy that he was, about the kind of person that he was that he was standing there, not only holding the coats of them, but, but approving of that as well, as, as, as we're going to see here at the beginning of Acts 9. But God had a greater purpose for Saul. God had a greater purpose in all of that, because it seems dire and it seems terrible, and, and it really, really was. But uh, let me give you a little background on Saul for just a quick second. Saul. Uh, he was born a Jew. So he's born a Jew, in, studies in Jerusalem, and becomes a Pharisee. So as I mentioned last week, he's a rules guy. He, know, he knows the rules. Uh, he has studied the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Um, and he is, he is a Pharisee. But he's also a Roman citizen. So he's a Roman citizen. He's born into citizenship because his father, um, he inherited this from his father. So he's born a Roman citizen, and this gives him some advantages. Being a Roman citizen gives him advantages and protection in some ways, Um, and so he kind of has the best of both worlds, okay, because he's a Jew, but he's got the Jewish upbringing and the knowledge, but he's also got the knowledge and upbringing of the Greek culture and philosophy, and this is helpful to him, Um, and for those of you that don't know, spoiler alert, Saul becomes Paul, And, and that's helpful for him moving forward as you see, remembering his background and the things that he went through and his upbringing and all that. So helpful. See, God had a greater purpose for him, and God has a greater purpose for you as well. God has a greater purpose for you, whether you realize it or not. Whether you realize it or not, your upbringing, your uniqueness, your experience, your education, your circumstances that you've gone through, a lot of times we use those to disqualify ourselves. Those can be used for a greater purpose. And we're gonna talk more about that as we continue here through this story, because you're going to see that in such a huge way through Saul's story. And so let's start in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 here. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and the way was, um, was how people who followed Jesus, that's how they were referred to, followers of the way. They weren't called Christians until later on. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. Um, so, belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, let me make no bones about this. Saul was the worst. He helped hunt down and kill Christians. Like, there's no ifs, fans, or buts about this. Like, this is what he did. Men and women, he hunted them down because he thought it was the right thing to do. And that's, that sounds strange to us. But he thought it was the right thing to do. He had good intentions. Being a Pharisee, this made sense to him because Jesus and followers of Jesus were blasphemous according to the Pharisaical law. So I want you to look at this verse though in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this verse. It says for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Saul wrote this years later when his name is Paul. We see that he understood all too well the idea of your past being held over your head. But he leveraged it for the glory of God. He leveraged his past for the glory of God. And we can let our past define us negatively, and we can let our past pull us down and hold us back, or or we can let it define us in a way that positively propels God and his calling in our lives forward. We have a choice. We have a choice to make. Let's continue on with the story here. In verse 3, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Yeah, I bet the guys that were with him were like, what is happening here? Because this was not normal. This was, this was not a normal thing. God doesn't normally do things like this, not very often, and when he does, it's for a very good reason and a very specific purpose, because this is pretty crazy. Imagine being one of the guys with Saul and and kind of seeing what's happening, but not really seeing what Saul was seeing. They must have been freaking out. I want you to see this painting. It's done by a French artist um, named Lepicy. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's it's French. I'm not French. But it's called St. Paul's uh, Conversion. And I find it interesting, because it says that Saul fell to the ground. And, And a lot of ancient artists... In fact, many of them, if if you look up paintings of this moment, have Saul falling from a horse onto the ground with this bright light shining down on him. So they paint the scene of him falling from his high horse. Get it? Right? This is where this came from. I think. Um, But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nowhere in Scripture does it actually say that he was on a horse. Um, It doesn't. It just says he fell to the ground. But I find it interesting that this is how he was depicted in many paintings. Because we can relate with that. We can relate with that a lot. Here's something else. I want you to know that when you see, and you see what Jesus says to him, when Jesus says, why Saul? I think a lot of times we think through this, if you've read this story, as maybe this is a voice of condemnation, a voice of God coming down on him. I don't think it was that at all. I I think it was more of a consideration. I think it was more of of Jesus saying, why? Bro, you know better. What, What are you doing here? You know, the Lord directs us one step at a time. And if you notice the way that Saul was directed here, he had to knock him down to give him instructions, but he didn't tell him everything all at once. The Lord directs us one step at a time, and that's not normal for us because we don't always process that very well. We, we need to be obedient and know what we should do and do it, and then more will be revealed. And that's what God did here with Saul. Saul. He really gave him just a couple of things. And Saul is led blind for three days. For three days, and he didn't eat or drink. And that must have been very humbling. Can you imagine the things going through his mind during this time? During these three days? Because all of his thoughts, all of his ideas about who God was, who he thought he was, because of his Pharisee background and and all of those things, Everything that he thought about who, who God was and what he should be doing were completely challenged and changed. He, his, his normal got wrecked. And I would, I would actually go as far as to say that those three days of Saul being blind were probably the days that he could see the most clearly that he had seen in a long, long time. He probably saw more clear those three days than he had for a majority of his life. So let's continue on here in verse 10. It says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him, to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call your name. Um, So Ananias, he's one of the leaders of the church in Damascus. And more than likely a target of Saul. He's probably on Saul's short list here. Right? We know from earlier that, that Saul had, had basically a list. I can imagine that Ananias was probably on this list somewhere. And Ananias is like, okay, Lord, I've heard of this guy. Uh, okay. You know, I mean, he, he, he had to probably be a little bit reluctant. But at the same time, he was willing. And Ananias was really just an ordinary, average guy. We don't hear anything special about him. We don't get anything else about him. He's just an ordinary, average guy who is willing to be used by God. And God loves to use the ordinary because it's not normal. He loves to use the ordinary because it's not normal. I'll give you a perfect example. If you were to Google ordinary average man in America, you would probably find a picture of me. I have brown hair and brown eyes i'm five ten and a half i'm one eighty five I wear a thirty four pants I wear a ten and a half to eleven size shoe right? I am like the most average dude you will find literally like there's just like it's just it's just the truth um and so but but you look at that and you think we think like god. God can't use the average and ordinary. Listen, there's still not a day that, at least, definitely not a Sunday, that I don't get up and I'm blown away by the fact that I'm up here right now. Like, it, still to this day, it's been almost a year, and I'm still blown away that this is what I get to do. It it blows my mind. Still, don't ever disqualify yourself because you think that you're average or just ordinary. Don't do it. Don't disqualify yourself. God loves to use average, ordinary people for a greater purpose. Because to God, no one is average or ordinary. No one. Let's keep going with the story here in verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It's amazing. So Saul is healed, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized, and he's empowered for service immediately. And all Ananias had to do was be obedient. All he had to do was be obedient. I, I have to imagine he was a little apprehensive walking into the room, knowing who he was walking into the room with. This is a guy that's like literally hunting me down. But you know what? He was empowered by God because God told him what was going to happen and God told him what he needed to know. He didn't tell him everything, he just told him a couple of things. He told him all he needed to know, and that's all he needed to know. And had it not been for an ordinary guy like Ananias, where would we be? An ordinary guy like Ananias who was willing to follow what Jesus told him to do. Look at verse 15 again. It says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God's chosen instrument. See, Saul had a choice, though. Saul had a choice, and it wasn't until he met Jesus that he could see what he was really doing. It wasn't until he had that experience with Jesus that he could see exactly what he was doing and how he, how he needed to change things, and that he had a greater purpose. And he had a choice to either become the hero or remain the villain, like we talked about last week. And so do you. And so do I. We have a choice. We have a choice. So what do you do with the fact that you've been saved for a purpose? That you've been called for a purpose? What do you do with the fact that you know Jesus and that he wants to use you in a powerful way? Hopefully you've had an experience with him that has radically changed your life. And it may not be quite like that. But to you, it might feel that way. To you, it might feel like that moment of God knocking you down and shining that light in your eyes and blinding you for a time so that you could really see what's going on. And that he's radically changed your life and given you freedom because of the gospel of grace. We have a choice so what do we do with that do we do we forgive or do we hold a grudge do we love other people or be filled with hate do we become accepting of others or do we leave them on the outside let's say you know somebody who's maybe following a bad path and they're they're they're, they're going down a path of of destruction and you know whether it's it's you know, like drugs or something like that. Or maybe it's not even that bad. Maybe it's just lying and there's relationships being, uh, being destroyed in, in, in their path. What, what do we do? Do we criticize them? Do we criticize them or do, or, do, or do we love them and try to help them? Do we yell at them? Do we talk bad about them behind their back? Do we, do we make some elusive comments on our Facebook post about them? Because that always helps. Or do we try to be more like Jesus. Do we try to be more like Jesus and, and, and love them? Or do we keep falling for the junk of this world that gains us nothing and gets us nowhere? See, Saul was the worst, but the worst became the best. The worst became the best, and that is the power of God. The New Testament has 27 books in it. Do you realize that 13 of them were written by this man? 13 of them. He went on three missionary journeys that really changed the Middle East forever, and he was in prison for a lot of them. And had he not been in prison for a lot of them, who's to say we would even have as many letters as we did? You could almost make an argument that God put him in prison so that he could write some of the Bible. (laughs) Because had he not been in prison, we would potentially not even have a majority of the letters that he wrote. And without Paul allowing God to use him, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. You could make an argument for that as well. There'd be no church as we know it because the church really took off after this moment. Could God have used somebody else? Sure. Sure he could. But he didn't. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Paul wrote this. The guy that killed Christians, that hunted them down, that imprisoned them. Paul wrote these things. Listen, no matter what your purpose is and what you're doing, in anything that you're doing, no matter how noble you think your reasons are, no matter how good your intentions might be, if you're not doing them in love, then you're doing it wrong. Saul learned this lesson. This is a guy writing this from a place of experience, from a, from a, from a guy who learned from his own mistakes but didn't let it hold him back, let the power of God and the Holy Spirit use him to make a difference that is still being felt today in amazing and powerful ways. That's why the connection point for the day is this. You have a purpose. You have a purpose and it is to know him and to make him known. To know him and make him known and that purpose can be met in doing anything. In doing anything. From sports to business to artwork to construction to whatever that might be. You have a purpose and God can use and will use anything and everything about you and about what you're passionate about, about your experiences that you've gone through, about the mistakes that you've made, about the stuff that you know, about the stuff that you don't know. All of those things are wrapped up into a person and into a chosen vessel that can be used to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And don't you forget it. Stop disqualifying yourself. And don't also, don't say you're not ready. Because you know who else wasn't ready? Saul. He wasn't ready in that moment by our standards and probably not by his either. He wasn't exactly ready, but he had everything he needed from the Lord. He had everything he needed. He had the Holy Spirit. He had a church family. If you read a little further, you see that the church in Damascus welcomed him in, and he stayed, he stayed with them for a while. He had community. That's a big part of this as well. He had everything he needed, and said he immediately started preaching the word and started sharing the gospel of what Jesus had done. And then he wrote this later on in Philippians chapter three. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Same guy wrote this. We need to grab onto God's purpose for our life. And stop waiting until you think you're ready. Seek his wisdom and go. Maybe some training that needs to be involved. There may be a little more to it than that. And it may be a little frustrating because maybe God doesn't want to give you every single step. Maybe he wants to just show you the first couple to see if you're willing to take them. Because like I mentioned last week, had, had Paul known everything that he was going to go through? And those words that, that Jesus said to Ananias, how much he must suffer for my name boy, there's a lot to that, because he did, but it was worth it. See, when you see God first, he's going to direct you in the way that you should go, and you have a purpose, and that is to know him and make him known, and everything else falls into place underneath that. Will you bow your head with me? A lot of times we, we look at our past and we look at the things that we've gone through before and, and, and we tell ourselves that, that we're disqualified, that we're not good enough, that, that, that it won't work. But that's not true. You have a purpose. And God wants to use it, every bit of you. And it starts, it starts in, in a moment like this where you commit your life to him. And you fully surrender to whatever it is that he's calling you to do and that purpose to know him and make him known is really a lot of a simpler way to say that is to be more like jesus that our, that we need to have our lives look more like jesus each and every day and if you don't have a relationship with jesus maybe that's the first place to start maybe you need to to start by having a relationship with him and And if you're not 100% sure that you're gonna be in heaven one day, you can know that before you leave today. Because God created you to have a relationship with him and he created you with purpose and he wants to give you that purpose. And it's bigger than yourself. It's about the kingdom and it's about eternity. And our sin is what separates us from God and, and it's really just confessing our sin admitting that we're a sinner, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, and putting your faith and trust in him. And you can just cry out to God and put that in your own words. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us, and I thank you for your word and the truth of it. I thank you for the example of Paul and the miraculous things that you did in his life and through his life. And Lord, I know that you have a purpose for each and every one of us. So Father, I pray that you would use us. Lord, that we would look to you. God, I pray that it wouldn't take a bright light, you knocking us down off our high horse and blinding us for a couple of days for us to see what you want to do with our life. Pray that we can be open and obedient to you now. Lord, again, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today might be the day that they get that right, that they make that decision, Lord, or at least ask some questions. And start down that path to have an experience with you, Lord. Pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move now as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.